This time I'd like to ask David Hope to come with the split sermon, The Greatest Risk of All Time. David? Thank you, Ken. Good afternoon, everyone. I thought Ken was inviting me out there for a little bit. I thought, well, you know, here's my opportunity to leave early. Good to see everyone. I know everyone's getting mentally prepared for the holy days coming up. And good to see all of our visitors and new people. I wanted to start off by saying, you know, some people will ask, and don't, don't think I'm being blasphemous about it, or maybe you will think that, but some people will ask themselves, what's the big deal about Christ's death? You know, everyone knows that Christ died for our sins, but, you know, not everybody knows what's the big deal about it. And some some will say in their mind, well, people have given their lives for other people at times, you know, so what's the big deal? Don't don't throw at me, I'm not going to. (laughs) That's not my attitude. Besides that, he was only going to be dead for three days and three nights anyway, so you know, what's, what's the problem with that? And many people think that Jesus could not fail. You know, it's a shoe-in, it's, it's, it's an automatic thing. Some people think that, so what's, what's the big deal about you know, Jesus' sacrifice and our sins? Today I'm going to talk a little bit about that, and hopefully by the end of it, that you'll uh, if you have any doubts at all, which I don't think anyone here does, but uh, some people may say something to you later. But uh, today I want to talk about that. I'm going to be brief. There are a lot, of, a lot of scriptures along this. Practically anything we talk about in here, there's many, many, many scriptures about it, and, and we're just going to be brief. But, uh, you know... Most of us understand here in this room, most of us understand that God does have a plan. And of course we feel that the holy days are kind of an outline of what that plan is and helps us to understand it a little better. Helps us to even understand the, the, the timing of the Passover and the three days and the three nights and all of that. So we understand that. But uh, a lot of people in the world and some other churches don't really realize that God does have a plan and it doesn't involve everyone being saved at this particular time that's you know that's a subject you know we've heard many a times and I'm not really going to go into that part of it today either but God does have a plan and and one of the main things God is intent on and Jesus intent on is family no I'm not going to talk about marriage but God wants a family we know that, and there's been messages uh, a number of times I've given some myself on the sons of God, you know, and God really wants a family, and there's a process of going through, and, I'm, and like I said, it's such a big subject that I can't begin to cover all of it, but just in, uh, briefly, turn to Hebrews, the second chapter, Hebrews, second chapter, nine through ten, and we'll just just cover just enough just to realize that we're staying in context. But but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death 
for every man. And there again, some people don't really grasp that. What's the, what's the meaning? Why should I really put a lot of stake on that? For it became him for whom all things are all things, and by whom are all things. You know, he made it all. And bringing many sons to the glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Of course, Jesus had to suffer. And another scripture along that line, 1 John, 3rd chapter. 1 John, 3rd chapter. Behold, and, and we've read this many times, I read it not long ago myself. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Verse 2, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, and we know the scriptures and 1 Corinthians and other places about the resurrection, these things, we shall appear, oh, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So we're going to be a part of the God family. And I will make a statement that Jesus, I think, could have failed. It wasn't a shoe-in. It wasn't an automatic thing just because he had more of God's Holy Spirit than anyone on earth ever. But Jesus could have failed. That, that was a risky thing. And just look at uh, just one verse, and I think probably Steve will go into some of this later on, uh, and we'll cover a lot of these uh, before the Passover season is over with. Also, Matthew, the 26th chapter, Matthew 26 and verse 36 through 42. And you will see by the context that Jesus was concerned. I'm not saying he was doubtful, but he was concerned. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then comes Jesus with them into the place called Gethsemane and said unto his, to the disciples, Set you here while I go and pray yonder. He wasn't an okie, but he used the word yonder. Over yonder. And he took with him Peter and two of the sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then said he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful. Sorrowful, even unto death, tarry you here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, you know, he was very, very earnest in it. And he was very specific also as a sign that he called him Father. He didn't call him by some other hard to pronounce name. He said, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So if there was any way to get out of that, have you ever been into a situation you would like to get out of? You know it has to be done, but boy, it would be nice to get out of it. I had a two-pull one time that really did a number on me. Now, I think all of us had two-pulled. I was on a job, and, and I I thought there might be a possibility I might have to call my dentist. And I was out in the Jinx area working, and 
Oh, I was beginning to hurt really, really bad. And I had my dentist's phone number in my wallet and I took it out and I called him, pleaded with him to work me in, and he did. And apparently it was abscessed to the point that it took a little bit to deaden it and I guess he gave me a double, double shot of it but, and he thought it was dead. And I told him it wasn't. <laughs> and he thought it was a baby, I guess. But he got right up in the middle of that chair with those pliers or whatever it is. And it wasn't an easy extraction either. I mean, he was really working at it. And I could feel that going all the way to my brain. I mean, I think the root was tapped around to the other side like a, uh, what do you call it, a tick or something really, you know, latching on or a leech. It hurt. Well, a few days later, I went back and, and uh, he was going to fit me for what they call a flipper, and I still, it, I already wore it out, but anyway, he's going to fit me for a flipper, and I was sitting there in a the chair, no pain, I knew everything was going to be fine, but just as soon as his hands got near my mouth, I about twisted the handle off of that, those chairs, that chair. I was dreading mentally, subconsciously, and I didn't, and I knew he wasn't going to hurt me. And he said, relax, Mr. Hope, relax. You know, and I know Jesus knew he could make it through, but you know, I think he was kind of dreading what he was going to have to go through. And, but anyway, uh, where I catch my thought, I, I didn't allow for digression in here, but I thought, well, it may be too quick. Anyway, he wanted to let that cup pass from him. If, if it were possible, and we know that they had it all worked out before, they had their plan, this is what we've got to do. This is our plan. I'm not going to get into all the details on it, but this is part of the plan. He had to do this for us. And he come to the disciples and find them asleep and said unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if this, cup, no, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. You know, if there's any other way, right now, I would like to, you know, I've known for a long time this is coming. I've told my disciples, I've told other people, I'm going to be dead three days, three nights. But if there's any other way, let's change the plan. But I can't give up because the plan's over. Okay, another point, point three. What if Jesus had failed, hypothetically? What was the risk? The answer, if Jesus had it all, you know, what, what a lot of people don't realize, and more people are beginning to understand, but what a lot of people don't realize, Jesus had it made before he came to be a human being. You know, he was sharing responsibility with God. There was nothing that he didn't own. He couldn't gain anything by it. Jesus had it made. But part of his plan, he had to come down and to be a human being and to qualify. This was part of it. Jesus could have lost it. He really could have. 
and I'll probably get in trouble with someone somewhere by saying that because that's not common thinking. But and if he had failed, he would have failed. He would have ceased to exist after he died. He would have ceased to exist, and your future and my future would have been up in smoke. We'll go to John 17th chapter. John 17, verse 5, just a little reading here. And now, O Father, glorify you me with your own self, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. You know, I was captain, I was in charge, I was I was doing all such a such, you know, glorify you with you know, me, the way it was, the way it used to be. He could have lost that. Philippians 2nd chapter, verse 6 through 11. We're just breaking in. Any place we go, we pretty well have to break in. We don't want to take all day just reading other scriptures, but we want to be enough to where we're at least within context. Philippians 2, verse 6. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. You know, he didn't just flaunt it and try to bully himself around. And took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, like you and me. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even to the death of the cross. And there's so many scriptures we could use, and probably a lot of them you're thinking about too, about the obedience, and he learned by obedience, and by the things he suffered, and on and on and on. And that's good if you're thinking about those things. Verse 9, Wherefore God also highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ... Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Colossians, first chapter, one, or 14 through 23. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, you know, not the only born, but the first one, firstborn of every creature. You know, we'll come up next, God willing. Verse 16, for by him were all things created. And we understand, you know, First John, or John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and he created, and Jesus did all this. For by him were all things created, that in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thorns, or I'm sorry, thorns, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So we're already showing, you know, that Jesus was already there. He formed this. He created it. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, 
who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now, we've, we've had other people to be resurrected from the dead. You know, back in the Old Testament, people were resurrected from the dead. Jesus resurrected people from the dead. But they're not the, you know, it wasn't in the, the sense that, that we're talking about here. He was the first one to be resurrected to spirit being, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in the earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by the wicked works, yet now has he reconciled. So we're reconciled right now if these things be true. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith, if we continue grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under the heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Let's see if I need to cut out some of these things. We don't want to go too long. Like I said, there was tremendous risk and. In most cases uh, uh, in, in life, there's a risk-reward situation. Uh, in many cases, if a greater reward is from a greater risk. Uh, a lot of you have had risk in your life. I don't know what, what your particular one is. We all had risk of some type. Some of them were eating, some of them were not. Uh, we failed in some of them, some of them we were successful. A lot of the younger generation, I don't know if you'd say younger, I'd just say maybe the, the now generation, because of their older people that uh, are adopting the same situation, to them, marriage is a risk. You know, marriage is a risk to a lot of people. You know, they say, well, I don't know what I'll get into. You know, if I get married, you know, and we get a divorce, now I've got to split everything, or this will happen, that'll happen, the kids, and so, you know, there's a lot of risk. Um, a lot of us took risk just to be a part of this way of life. You know, a lot of our men, a lot of our women both, a lot of our women have risked uh, their marriage by coming into the church and their husbands not understanding, not having been called to the understanding they have. And, and uh, many of our women have, have done that. We know men years ago in the church, and, and even some now, that uh, their wives are antagonistic. They, you know, they just don't understand. Uh, those of us that have a mate here that both believe and agree and understand, we are very, very blessed people. You know, you're blessed people here. Steve's blessed. All, everybody out here that has a mate with him, uh, or at least here part of the time with him, are very blessed to have your mate here with you. Not better, but you're just blessed. You know, but it's a tremendous risk. And I took, uh, I can digress a little bit. Uh, I had a risk here, oh, probably about 20 years ago, a friend of mine out in California 
uh, introduced me to uh, something I thought would get me away from the back-breaking work of cleaning carpet and, and repairing carpet and doing floors and all that. And it was called futures trading, commodities. And it really sounded good. The guy was doing well. I, and I knew several people that were doing well. And I didn't want to mess with um, uh, the stock market because you know, that, that's slow. It's conservative, but it's, it's slow. Well, that's even a risk. I know a lot of people, I've even got a uh, daughter and son-in-law that lost a lot of money in the stock market, you know, two or three times, you know, the last 20, 30 years when it's going up and down. So uh, even the conservative uh, ventures are risky, but, but the commodities and the futures trading is extremely risky. But boy, the rewards are there if you're lucky. <laughs> and uh, if you're good, like I thought I was, and I, I put my heart into it. I really was, was really studying it. I was studying the charts, and man, I was doing all kinds of research. And, and I could tell you every hour, you know, what, what certain commodities were at certain time, the high and the low, and what they closed. And I knew what on some of them, the 20-year averages. And, and uh, I made some money, lost a little, but we were doing pretty good. And, and, and my friend was mentoring me. And uh, I decided, you know, I'm going to do some things on my own now. I like this cattle market. You know, we traded gold and traded silver and, and cocoa and orange juice and some other things. And, but I like the cattle market and uh, live cattle because we done pork bellies and I'd made and lost on pork belly, just kind of broke even on pork bellies. But uh, I really had a good formula I thought worked out and I was working for a company that uh, on a regular basis once a week that, that bought, bought meat and did other things with it, manufactured it. And uh, sometimes in the trash I'd see a chart in there and I'd take that chart, which you shouldn't do, and I hope that don't go out over the air. I won't tell you who the company was, but anyway, it was trash. But uh, I was making some pretty good money, you know, making good money. And my wife and I, I don't know where she went, but uh, anyway, we decided, oh, there she is. We were going to uh, buy some land out by one of my daughters, and we had the land all picked out, and and uh, had pretty well hand-drawn out the house and stuff we were going to, to build. And I mean, you know, we were, we were still going to love God, and we still, you know, still come to church, still, you know, give our tithes and offering and all that. But, you know, my heart and my mind was really geared to those commodities. And I was thanking God for the wisdom that he gave me. And had this big old huge house, and we were going to have the teens out there. And that's, you know, 20 years ago, our baby was still fairly young. And, and uh, we were going to have church parties and swimming parties, you know, and, and have this L-shaped thing here, you know, big old huge pool out here. Well, and I even had the uh, uh, live Poultrek. It was kind of new at the time, but I could tell you what these commodities were doing, even at work, you know, and I could stop and make a trade or whatever. Well, anyway, the cattle market began to kind of go down. And I knew what the charts said. I knew this, this, this is just a bluff, you know, they're trying, uh, and it'll turn around. But like I said, uh, uh, the market don't got to do anything, you know, just because you think it has to do this. It doesn't have to. Well, it, it began, long story, took about a 20-year low. 
and my wife kept telling me, David, you need to get out of it, need to get out. She'd go to work and I'd still be there, you know, playing with the numbers and she'd come home, David, did you get out? No, we've only lost a couple thousand today, you know. And uh, no, I'll get out, you know, it's gotta come back. And uh, then all of a sudden I thought, well, there goes the swimming pool. <laughs> Can't, we're not gonna have a swimming pool. Then, you know, a few days later, it didn't come back. It kept going down, and the grains did their things. And it's all, this stuff's all related, and other countries are related and all that. And I said, well, there goes the West Wing. And finally, I got out of it. And, you know, I about had a nervous breakdown over that. But it was, it was a tremendous risk, but boy, the benefits were there. I mean, you know, if I could have just done it. But, of course, long story short, you know, it was better for me. I don't think God wanted me to be rich. <laughs> uh, I depend on God. But anyway, I can understand how Jesus felt in some ways about risk. You know, he could, he could lose it all. He could have. Of course, he wasn't a gambler like me. He, you know, he... Uh, anyway, that's, that's another story, but I know I'm, I'm familiar with risk. Uh, go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 12, verse, verse 12 through 21. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose, no, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. So Christ didn't make it, you know, he had failed some way, and he wasn't risen, we're not going to be risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. So Christ didn't, wasn't resurrected, you're just sitting here, you ought to be out here doing something else maybe, having fun. Well, I'm having fun, but anyway. Verse 15, yea, and we are, and we are, found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ no, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. So all of the uh, friends of ours are Christians and mates and things in the past that have already passed before us. Eh, they're gone. You know, it's vain. If Christ is not risen. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. And there are some side benefits. We'll talk briefly about the beatings of Jesus. I don't, don't know if necessarily Christ had to be beat, you know, technically to be the Passover lamb. You know, the old Passover lamb, they didn't beat it, they didn't mistreat it, you know, they cut it and bled it out and put the blood over the doorpost and all that. So, so this is not, I'm not saying specifically, I, I don't know that Christ would have necessarily had to been beat to be our Passover lamb. But there's, that's a real deep subject in there, real deep. Uh, but go to Isaiah 53, a very common uh, verse for 
what the subject is. Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions, so that may be contradictory to what I was saying. <laughs> he was bruised for our iniquities, beaten for it. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes you are healed. So anytime we're going before minister and asking for an anointing, Remember, we're looking at Jesus' stripes. By his stripes are we healed. That was one of the purposes of Jesus' beating. First Peter, second chapter, verse 21 through 24. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. So we're expected to suffer a little too. And we've had messages over the past and heard messages that God didn't promise us a rose bed, you know, a bed of roses, that, you know, he's, more, he's concerned more about our salvation than he is our comfort. Not that we're not to have comfort, but anyway, but we are expected to suffer some that we should follow in his steps. Verse 22. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judged righteously. Who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. And here's a repeat of that. By whose stripes you were healed. So this is a side benefit of, of Christ uh, uh, dying for our sin. You know, we've been beaten so we could be healed. We're going to sum this up. Conclusion. There's much, much more to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ than most people realize. It was not a guaranteed outcome. This was the greatest and most valuable risk ever. If you really think about it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that.